Hey, Fanti fam, it's producer Swish here, and Jared and Travell wanted me to let y'all know that we recorded this episode last Friday, and of course, the Emmys took place this past Monday. This is obviously incredibly disappointing for anyone who wanted to hear what they had to say about the Emmys. I honestly don't know how they sleep at night, but apparently they don't have any trouble. That said, the episode that you're about to hear, super fun. I think you're all really going to enjoy it. Welcome to Fantastic Podcast for all those complex and complicado conversations about the gray areas in our lives. I'm entertainment journalist, editor, author, rest, times two, your boy, your girl, your everything in between and beyond, Travel Anderson. I am hot, but not heated. That's a Beyonce reference. I don't know if you guys got that. Yeah, um, got I am I'm sweating but not stanking. Jarrett Hill, we oh. are excited to have you back here for Fanti. We are getting into this conversation. There, as journalists, we might call this like a third day story, right? After the conversation has existed out in the world for a little bit and we want to analyze it a little bit more broadly. We're talking about R&B and whether or not it is dead, what that conversation is even about. We have two guests that are going to contextualize this for us and I'm excited about that. So we're going to get into that. But first... We are going to do another A Tough Question. Again, these are, you know, conversation points Jared and I are having. Maybe you're having it on social media that, you know, it's a tough question. This one is actually a submission from our wonderful producer, Laura Swisher. And there's a story from earlier this year from the San Francisco Chronicle about a social studies teacher at San Francisco's Creative Arts Charter School who brought in cotton plants or balls to class in March so her eighth grade could feel the sharp edges that had pierced our ancestors' hands while picking cotton and pulling out the seeds. The lesson was about the cotton gin and the impact it had on slavery and the Industrial Revolution. Long story short, parents were divided. The school ended up apologizing. The teacher was put on leave and she apologized when she returned. They did not, because I know you're you're wondering, they did not say the race of the teacher in the article. And so we know that means that they're white. Um, and and, <laughs> and that's what brings, and I think that's important context. We'll get into it shortly. Um, so the tough question is, was it wrong for this teacher to bring a cotton plant to classroom to the classroom to teach about slavery, the industrial revolution, the impact of the cotton gin? Go. I think it was an interesting choice. I'm not like inherently mad at this. Like we saw a story a number of weeks ago where I don't know, it was some black ass holiday that that the people are now celebrating and there was like a watermelon cocktail or something and people were pissed about it. And I was like, y'all, there's more shit to be mad about, right? Like, if they're having a conversation about cotton, this is what it was like back then. Maybe we demonstrate the fact that it was difficult. I'm trying to figure out if it matters to me if this person were black or white, because that context, it hits different, right? Which isn't always fair, but sometimes is. Well, so uh, some of the some of the parents, right, um, of a variety of races in this article, we'll link to it in the show notes. Some of the parents of black children were like, "This is replicating a very traumatic time period in our ancestors' lives," and they felt like the teacher, you know, and the lesson was not sensitive 
of that, right? I should say the demographics of this school, it's a primarily white school. Um, I think it's about less than 500 students at the school. I want to say around 50 of the students, I believe it's less than 50 of the students are black. Obviously, the majority are white. And so here's, here's, how, I, here's how I look at it, okay? I do think if the, te- if the teacher was black, I think this would be a different conversation. I'm a, and I'm a, again, I'm assuming the teacher is white because the article did not mention the teacher's race, and that is usually the default in journalism. Mm. Um, and I mean, because, come and, on. and I, I note that because elsewhere in the story, they note when uh, a parent or their child is black, right, for that cultural, racial context. But I do think if a teacher was black, we'd be having a different conversation because the setup of this lesson would be very different, right? I imagine, at least. I do think it is interesting, like, how it might feel to a black student who who is surrounded by other white students. Um, the act of... I don't know if you've ever... Have you ever picked Cotton, Jared? I have not. Okay. So, I have, right? And it it there is a particular pain, right, from removing the cotton from the little mm-hmm. plant itself, right? That that some would say might put you in a sort of headspace, right, of what doing this over and over and over and over and over for you know hours on in a day in the 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 scorching heat um, might feel like. I can see a black student being like, "Oh, girl, this is triggering. Like, oh, this is like traumatic, or like this is a problem." But I think if the teacher, and even perhaps a white teacher, if you set the intentions appropriately before the lesson. Like, at the start of your class, like, is this a recurring type of lesson where, like, you know, are you going to do something similarly tactile and immersive if and when you come across, you know, um, other moments of trauma for other, you know, historically excluded communities? And if so, if that's how your class is set, then you will set the stage appropriately from the beginning. That's what I'm thinking. I'm having a hard time um, because... Not knowing the race of the teacher is is trying to make me look at this as, you know, quote unquote, neutrally as we can. But like, it is also not lost on me that like, whenever people are like, well, if a white person had done this and I always stop them and say, well, all things are not equal, right? right. Like black folks doing something versus white folks doing something is not an equal situation uh, in this country or in most of the ones around the world. Um, and so... I think about a white teacher doing this with predominantly white students, it hits in one way. I think about a black teacher doing this with predominantly white students and it hits in a different way. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and I'm like, well, should there have been a note to the parents? Like, hey, we're going to do this. And it's like, well, where is that line? Right? Like, I brought some cotton into class. I didn't beat them, right? I didn't, like, I didn't suspend them. I didn't, like, scold them. I wasn't, like, showing them the cat of nine tails and demonstrating it. It was cotton, right? And so that's that's the debate that I'm having with myself about, like, at what point do we need to let the parents know? And as a teacher, as a, you know, teaching in, in, in at USC now, it's like, I'm always thinking about, like, well, how do we have a conversation about a thing without, you know, offending someone or how to... Cause, I'm very clear how where I am on my politics, right? And I'm not pretending that I don't I don't stand where I do, but also recognize I might have students that are conservatives, and they also deserve a lesson um, about journalism in a way that that affirms them and and sees them. So, um, it's challenging. 
Yeah, I think I think you you bring up a good point about like the age of the student, right? Like maybe not even maybe certain conversations and certain approaches in those conversations and lessons um, might be a little bit more appropriate, quote unquote, appro- quote unquote appropriate for a college aged student versus an eighth grader. I don't know, but I did want to note that like this type of lesson, bringing cotton or whatever into class. It's 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 been something that other places have done. In 2019, a parent in Flint, Michigan, questioned why her children were made to reenact the oppression of their ancestors by cleaning and picking cotton. The middle school, it was in a middle school. They removed okay, the lesson no. from its <laughs> its curriculum. In 2020, New Jersey officials investigated a teacher who had students lie on the floor picking and cleaning cotton amid whipping sounds. The teacher, oh, was, see. the teacher was cleared of improper behavior. And lastly, in 2021, in Spokane, Washington, a class that included two black girls was instructed on how to clean cotton and challenged to see who could clean it the fastest. So I'm thinking about like how these things happen. And I don't think all of these things are inherently bad. Lying on the ground and whipping sounds and shit. That might be a lot, right? But <laughs> I... I remember like my first day in class with students, like I wasn't teaching, I was there to speak. And I didn't, I got asked to come the day before. I wasn't as like, I didn't have something as ready, but she like knew my experience and wanted me to be able to come talk to the students. And so I ended up doing this whole immersive kind of thing with them, um, a guided meditation to kind of immerse them in a community that they would have to cover. Um, And it was, it was a part of a discussion around covering communities that you are not a part of or are not familiar with. And so doing that was a way of being able to kind of help them see the people there or understand what it's like to walk down the street there and all these other kinds of different things. And so when I think about the ways that people want to try to convey a message to their students, I get that you want it to have an impact. You want it to be something that stays with them, but also doesn't like harm them or, you know, is not traumatic or something like that. So I get, I appreciate that these teachers are trying to like get their students to connect with the, the source material or connect with the the object or connect with the the narrative or whatever it is. But like, I, I don't, I'm I'm still a little bit too new to be able to give you like what those boundaries are supposed to be. But I can tell you like, I, I, I f- want to see what the parents or the teachers are trying to do here. And I also understand that parents are trying to be thoughtful and cautious about the things that their their children are being exposed to without them present, right? Mm-hmm. And the ways that those things kind of happen. The last thing I'll say there is like, I, my nephew has, uh, I, I was with my, one of my good friends who has, her son is my nephew. And like, um, she was talking to me about how like, he's been like wiling a little bit coming home from school now and he's been like this is not fair (laughs) right and we were having a conversation about like what does fair mean to a three-year-old right like where does he hear that where does he get that where does he get the falling out and doing all of the things like where does that come from for him and how is he like learning that and like I think about all of the different influences that kids have at school and the way that they impact them at home and around and how they move through the world after that so I, I get it. I get it. But I'm I'm challenged on this one. This is hard. Well, that's why it's called a tough question. We are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we will have an R&B funeral. 
Are you feeling a little anxious and overwhelmed? These feelings can make it hard to shift gears and get in the mood. With Dipsy, you can focus on just what makes you feel good. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, sexy audio stories designed by women for women. New content is Why released every week. Why did you say week. women so like between, that? Well, because I thought I was supposed to like inflect it a little bit. Like, you know, <laughs> designed by women for women. Listen, I've said here before, we've not like laughed in the middle of an ad before, but I I do think that like porn and sex and erotica designed for women by women is always better. Like, I just always think the content is better. It is sexier. Absolutely. Uh, it connects in a different kind of way. Uh, feminist porn, all that kind of stuff over the years has just been really interesting to me. And at Dipsy, new content is released every week. So in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore and dive into. Dipsy also has sleep stories, wellness sessions, and now they also offer written stories. For listeners of the show, Dipsy's offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash fanti. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash fanti. That's dipsystories.com slash fanti. Jared and I recently told you all about our, you know, Labor Day trip to these Palm Springs, okay? And one of the things I packed with me, okay, was my microdose gummies. Because you know what? Yes, I wanted to live my best life. I wanted to relax. I wanted to jog some creativity in my mind. And guess what? It did just that. We know that you've absolutely heard about microdosing on this show. And if you happen to be new and you you don't know what I'm talking about. Just know that all sorts of people are microdosing daily to feel healthier and perform better. Our show today is sponsored by Microdose Gummies. Microdose Gummies deliver perfect entry-level doses of THC that help you feel just the right amount of good, okay? I already told you. I was in the pool just a chillaxing, okay? Hiding away from the sun, you know, just allowing myself to breathe for once okay and sometimes you just need to breathe and the microdose gummies can help you with that microdose is available nationwide to learn more about microdosing thc go to microdose.com and use code fanti to get free shipping and 30 percent off your first order links can be found in the show description but again that's microdose.com code fanti Welcome back to Fanti. <laughs> Beloveds, on Wednesday, August 17th, 2022, at 1.03 p.m. Eastern Time, Sean Puff Daddy Puff Diddy Love Combs asked the question that set off a thousand think pieces, amen, and ridiculous conversations that I don't particularly care about. But... The musical icon wrote these words. Who killed R&B? Mm. Sing, sister. In reality, this tweet got way more attention than was warranted because this is something that has been a conversation for at least most of my adult life. Thank you, Jennifer Hudson at Aretha Franklin's funeral. <laughs> But we've been hearing R&B is dead as a common refrain in culture conversations for years. I've never really understood why I hear it that much, but 
I also don't really know because I don't know what it means to be dead when we see so many artists and new albums coming out all the time. So, like, what does that mean? We thought we'd bring in some crooner friends to lend us their lens. First, she is singer, songwriter, and overall wonderful entertainer. Her debut EP, Present, is streaming everywhere. Never Ending Nina, welcome. Thank you all for having me, and um, I welcome the transference that Jennifer had did at uh, Aretha's funeral. <laughs> I, I was like, what organ music could I use? And, and I saw Jennifer Hudson, Aretha, Frank, uh, Aretha Franklin funeral. I was like, that's it. Like, what you know, else? You, you know you black and you from the ch- from the church when you just start swaying when you hear organ. Hey, Listen, you know, you literally <laughs> left to right. And our returning champion, he is Grammy-nominated singer, songwriter, entertainer, actor, wig wearer. Um, I, this wig with you and the sunglasses, I was loving it. Please welcome back Michael Kilgore to Fanti. Michael, welcome. Welcome back to Fanti. Oh, God. You know, I'm, just trying to, I'm giving you R&B. <laughs> it's very, like, intro to your favorite radio station. WSJT. At home in the Bay Area, it was 102.9 KBLX. Like, and the girls went up. Like, we oh, went honey. up. Okay. These people sang. Listen, for, for no reason, really, right? But we always remembered it, so it was for a reason. I want to open up this to y'all. This whole discussion around R&B being dead has been going on, not just for the last few weeks, but for a long time. And I just want to know what y'all's top line thoughts are. Michael, I'll let you start. How do you even, like, engage that conversation or thought? Well, it's such a timely topic because it very much is the king is dead long live the king i do Mm. think that in a way r&b is not what it was and for some people that's a death but r&b is very much alive i think that when people have the conversation about is r&b dead they're talking about the industry and not the artistry and i think Mm. that we need to like center the artistry in the conversation and not the industry Mm. that was good you gotta let that breathe you gotta let that breathe. Nina, come in and say that that he was wrong. <laughs> oh, could never be. Because that's exactly my thought process is that you, sir, sit on your pedestal and say R&B is dead, but how have you provided opportunities to those mm. individuals or have you seeked out those opportunities or those people or your ear to the street as though how you came up to say, well, what is pumping out there? Let me go to these underground juice joint jam sessions to find these artists that you say is dead. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Use your place of privilege. I love that you bring up the juice joint because the juice joint is the first place I saw you perform when <laughs> I came to Michael Kilgore's show here uh-huh. in Hollywood. So I love that. Yeah. Oh, I love the juice joint. I mean, and and that's why I'm like, I I kind of let the those statements just come and go. They don't mean anything to me because I'm in the trenches, so I know that it's out there and it's real, and people are hungry for it. People are loving it. They're enjoying it. You know, it's it's not like two or three people making R and B. It's a humongous cadre of folks making R and B and. And enjoying R&B. I just think that, you know, if we're going to really be real, like somebody like a a Diddy saying, is R&B alive or dead? Is really him saying, I can't make money off this. 
Mm. Well, you have you probably can't make money off it anymore because we found ways to do it on our own. We don't need, you know, a making the band to make mm. our band. <laughs> like we can do it on our own. Mm. Oh, I love that. Okay, so I want to throw a question to you, Nina, off of what Michael has just said. What what do you think people really mean when they say R&B is dead? Do they mean that, like, you know, the R&B of our parents and grandparents is not necessarily what we're getting anymore? Is it the business conversation that Michael has, has brought up? Where's your vantage point attuned to? I think it's always going to be a mix of that because this is a music business. This is the music industry. But first and foremost, that's why when I wrote Soul, one of my main lyrics was that I am the source. A business exec cannot manufacture air if I don't see melody. They cannot do anything to market uh, no sound if I didn't create it. And so I think going back to the actual talent, the artistry, cultivating that in a way that that can be palpable to so many people because... You know, once you press play on Michael and my stuff, you're going to feel some type of way of saying, oh, no, these motherfuckers can sing. Or, oh, no, they are exuding something that I need to get in my veins every day. And I need to tell my people because we know word of mouth travels far greater than any time, type of marketing strategy because they recognize the artistry of that person. So I think it's always that mixture of... Um, finding that balance to where we can navigate that. But the main leading component is, do you actually see that artist? Do you mm. actually know their heart? Do you actually know why they are singing? Do you actually know why they're doing what they are doing for their community, for themselves, for their family, for art in general? And most of the time we are not in that space because we are in a microwavable society right now. But I mean, okay. I, I think I think there's like oh. a like in the question. Are you trying to ask what the ingredients to make R and B is? That's one of our questions, which is like, how do you define R and B? What's an R and B sound to you? Oh my goodness! I think R and B <laughs> is as hard as describing what Americana is, like another musical genre is, because it's kind of personal to me. R and B, R and B is is like a funky word. I like soul much more than I like R&B. I feel like more of a soul singer, a soul artist than an R&B artist. Um, but like if we go to the to the basic, it's rhythm and blues. So it is this, it's like someone saying black and black. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> That's really what R&B is. It is like, it's rhythm and blues. It's black and black. It's the souls of black folks. It is, you know, I think, I think another reason why, and this is me being pseudo deep, Another reason why we have these conversations all the time about is R&B dead because the blues is tied to R&B. And that is the pain, the struggle, the heartache of blackness that's Mm. that's wrapped up in it. And I don't I don't know how excited we are as a people anymore to explore that anymore. Mm. You know, like it's R&B can be very triggering if loving you is wrong, I don't want to be right. Ooh. It's beautiful, but it also is about wrongdoing. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Mm. And we want, and like, we really want it to be, you know, even songs that I think are really true R&B uplifting, like Be Real Black for me. It's, it's almost like begging it out of each other. Just be mm. black for me. It's like, I don't want to have to beg that out of you. Like, 
just exist like existing should be enough so so i wonder if you know the fight within you know the black community specifically about r&b is just like do we have a new word for music that is actually pop music r&b is pop Mm. it's everywhere all the white girls and the white boys want to do it like it's super popular uh you know and it's like how do we do it without doing what black people through time has always done which is invite white people to blackness Uh, knowing fully well black people have never ever not once not ever in life been invited to whiteness i have never gotten an invitation to whiteness never not once wow (laughs) wow and Um, and i think that's and i think that's in there too i i I need that organ back Well, I mean, this this kind of is a perfect pivot into a conversation Travell and I have had a number of times. We just had in Palm Springs, like, um, with, with some friends and, like, kind of disagreed on this. But, like, I've been trying to figure out the distinctions between R&B and pop. And Travell has a theory that pop is not a genre. Pop is, like, a column, <laughs> right? If that is, a, if there's, I don't think you use those words specifically, but, like, this distinction or is there a distinction like can you be both or like how does that work how do y'all think about that distinction i mean for me pop is popular so we can look at classical music at that time that was pop that was the thing on the scene people would dress up and go to the opera that was pop classical music was popular it was pop music Jazz was pop because it was popular when that craze was coming around. And so it's I look at it as this big old circle, but it always tends to shift when, once again, people like me across this panel mm-hmm. uh, tend to be the leaders in that. And they don't want those individuals to be popular with the mm. art that they display. They rather have someone more... Um, to their liking, who they can bend and mend and mold to um, garner the success and the accolades and the leverage and the power that we know we create. And so that's once again, looking at the actual system. The music industry was built off of stealing ideas, art from people less fortunate, but still had the soul to create it. So they couldn't identify, but let's market it Let's mm. all you hear that go go listen to this juke joint jam session and then market that and then switch and put two white people on the cover and then we're gonna sell that to the community. Like it's it's the ongoing thing that when we trace back our musical history, it's always been there. But now that more of us are in those positions of power who can help access that um now standing to embrace more musical artistry. What are you doing with that? And we see, as you can see, that this, not to bring it back to Diddy, but once again, bring it back to Diddy because you opened it up. It's like you have complete access to fund all upcoming artistry if you want to and not break a sweat. Who's at your table discussing this? Are you Mm -hmm. really about the business of exposing these new up and coming artists since R&B is dead? Or is it once again a promotional tactic just to center it around you? Mm. Well, and we and we should say Diddy did this tweet, and it all it became like this whole conversation online. But it was really because he was beginning, he was starting the promotion for new work, right? And that's what the the provocation was for to begin. I'm so glad you said that. That is a, that 
that's the part about this that I just feel I I hate to throw the word genius around, but it's like that's Diddy's genius. It's like yeah. wasn't nobody checking for him or his opinion on R and B. And he was like, I know if I say this, it's about to put my name on everybody's lips. Like that is so it's so brilliant that he was able to do it and but i'm thankful that it's bringing about these more serious conversations because it's not this conversation isn't about is r&b dead it is do black people still own our Mm. our position in the culture when it comes to art Mm. is is, can you put a white face on it and it still be okay Mm. is is it is it is it all right if it can just be ours i i was talking about this about jasmine sullivan I get so excited to see her trajectory because she's one of the best artists ever. And I get sad because I go, I'm going to miss when she was ours. Mm. Because oh we know because we know how to love her and treat her and celebrate her. And we're not going to make her struggle to be the giant that she is mm. because she's ours. And we, we can appreciate that. Um and like I'm gonna disagree a little bit with Nina, so you can get your fight in right now. <laughs> because <laughs> when I think about pop music, I think about the fifties. You know, that's kind of where the like the title pop music kind of came from, the fifties. And it was really about them saying, We love rock and roll, but how do we build a gate, a fence, so that black people can't cross it? We'll call <laughs> it pop. It's popular music mm. because we're gonna take these Black artist songs, Hello Elvis, you know what I mean? And we're going to put them in a white body and then it can be popular. Then it's okay. And it's, you know, it's about the the white teen culture, which, you know, pop music still kind of is run by white teen culture in a way, in a weird way. But really it's about the parents of these white teens. Because mm. the, the white teens ain't got no money. Mm-hmm. So the parents are they need something that feels okay to, to spend their money on. So I feel like that's, mm-hmm. those are my ideas on, on pop music, but back to like the subject of R and B music. I think that R and B music is absolutely pop music right now, because if there's anything that's exciting and interesting and delicious to white teen culture, it's blackness. <laughs> mm, okay. So let, let's hang out right there. Right. Cause I wanted to ask this specifically, and I'll, I'll bring them together. Part of me is curious if this is difficult, primarily because the the distinctions between you know one genre and the other. If it's difficult because of awards and charting and like that business side of it that you all have spoken about. Um, and then I'm really curious about like how much of it is difficult because we see white folks doing it. Right. Like, can white folks do it? Right. Like Sam Smith, Adele, Justin Bieber is like clawing and gnashing trying to be an R&B artist. Right. And so, like, how do we how do we look at that? Is this is this important because of it actually being important to the artistry? And from that lens, like, is it important that it is black or is it about a sound like that? How do you think about that, Michael? Oh, I kind of want to give credit I mean, more and more recent years, like Lil Nas X, but like kind of like the Darius Ruckers of the world who, you know, who are like, oh, I'm gonna do country. And white people went bananas. Like, what do you Mm. mean? This isn't country. This isn't real. You know, and I think this is like the response to that in a strange way that that, you know, there are a lot of white artists. You know, I think about Ariana Grande a lot Mm -hmm. and I like to put her right up next to Victoria Monet, who 
I consider an R&B artist, but also a pop star. Yes. Victoria Monet kind of is creating this new Ariana Grande world for her. Interesting. Like, look at the okay. writing credits, babies. Like, Absolutely. That's, for everybody, everybody listening, <laughs> look at the writing credits. They'll tell you what you need to know. Um, but, like, Ding. Victoria Monet is, is creating this world for her, this sonic world for her. So, I mean, like, there's blackness baked into the into the lyric and the melody. So, I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah, it's kind of, I mean, like, I consider what she's doing R&B-ish, but, like, I have a friend who's a dancer, and she is a, she does ballet, she does hip-hop, she does all this sort of stuff, and every once in a while we'll be in an audition or we'll be in a show, and she'll look at me and she'll see the dance on stage, and she's like, look at this baby bop up here. Because there's like the watering down of hip hop that happens when it's like the bodies can't do it. Yeah. So it's like, we're going to give you like, and she calls it baby bop. I mean, there's like baby bop R&B to me. <laughs> you know, I really do. I think there's a whole lot of people out there who are like, who learn two riffs and mm-hmm. are and are wearing them riffs out <laughs> um, or who learned a few, uh, learned some terminology you know, which is why, like, I have so much love and respect for, like, trans women because it's like they create a whole culture and then it took a summer for everyone else to steal their whole thing, steal their whole shit and put it all over their records and all over their videos and all over their, mm. their shows. Like, it's crazy. But, like, it's like you see it, you know, because there is it's it is one of our greatest um assets and it's one of our greatest deficits i think as a as a people specifically black americans we are welcoming and we want people to be invited to the party but it's like just because i let you come to my family reunion doesn't make you family like Mm. you don't get the family t-shirt you don't get Mm. the family business meeting like you get to come have a plate sit down over there Okay, <laughs> but like literally, don't come walking up here talking about hey, auntie, auntie. No, right. no, yes. baby, no, baby. You're not, you're not one of the Kilgores. You don't get to do that, baby. <laughs> and that's exactly like the proximity to the patriarchy of when you can look at it throughout the whole foundation of everything that's in America, particularly for the music industry, is that. We don't have the proper gatekeeping. We don't have the proper understanding that like, yo, you have to take some years to understand that you have to go through, like I said, bringing it back to these these jam sessions that only really industry people know about to where you can actually understand how you need to build your chops, to understand improvisation, to understand musicality, to understand if your mic go off, can you still harness the Mm. crowd, the power of the crowd? These are all things taught with everyday um, in-depth experiences in the thing that you say that you love. And for the most part, those people who do not look like us have free access to that far greater than we have. But all they have to do is go on YouTube, type in a little jam session, and then go on to that down the esophagus for a good 20 hours, and then they could do their show. <laughs> You know, I mean, because, and I, and I will say this, it's like, what is innate still needs to be honed. It still needs to be crafted. It's, it, you know, it's like the two of you, funny, great personalities, wonderful conversationalists. You don't just wake up and go, I'm going to do a podcast. And it's like, you haven't done any work to like hone mm-hmm. these skills. So mm-hmm. I think a lot of times I will see 
I don't want to say this and like negate what I've said before, but it's like I've seen a lot of young white artists who understand how far from natural this is for them. Mm. And they work really hard. Mm. They have the math of R&B down mm. in a way that a lot of black people, we have the soul of it. But it's like, do you, have you done the, the work? Like, do you even know the industry? Do you even know the, yeah. the art form enough to like feel like you have a level of mastery? Right. Um, and it's like, I will see them in spaces. And I'm not, there's a, there's a singer named uh, Morgan James. And I don't know that she would call herself an R&B singer, but I know she has R&B chops to me. And she works extremely hard on being this well-rounded artist who can sing at your, Boston Pops Orchestra concert yeah. and can tear down in a in a juke joint with 15 people in the audience, her, a bass player, and somebody on slide trump I mean slide guitar. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like I, I wanna see I wanna see more of that too. Because you know, I was I was talking to someone earlier today, and this is not really about R and B, but it's about like you said gatekeeping, but I'm just talking about the boundaries of of mm. blackness, not the gatekeeping, but just like, let's set some healthy boundaries. But I'm like, I am at a point in my life where like, if I see something gay, I pretty much want to support it because I'm gay. I can't wait till I don't have to support every gay thing. Mm. I'm looking forward to that because some of this gay stuff is trash, but I want to support <laughs> it because I just want more gay stuff made. <laughs> I want more gay stuff made so that that we can have like, you know, so that there could be more opportunities. So it's like when people see the tickets are being bought, they're like, oh, well, you know, gay shit, you know, people could come to that. Let me make, do some more gay shit. But like, I'm looking forward to the day when we bought so many gay tickets that now it's like, I only want to come to good gay shit. I don't want to come to your sad, (laughs) whack gay shit. I mean, that is, that is real. I, I fully get that. I, I fully get that. Travel, I'll let you take it. Yeah, okay, so a few thoughts of things uh, that you all have mentioned, right? First, you mentioned Lil Nas X, right? He's got that lyric. He's, he said he's a pop nigga like Bieber, right? I bring <laughs> that up to note how I find that with a lot of artists, there is kind of this language game that happens in terms of like positioning oneself as as an artist right we see how you know everybody wants to be a pop star because that's where the attention is that's where the audience is that's where the money is right but like Lil Nas X is a rapper right you know like Beyonce's an R&B singer I don't care what nobody say right um and and her music at times has been popular and and has hit the pop charts right but is she, that, that's what I mean in terms of uh, what I was trying to articulate in our Palm Springs um, rendezvous. <laughs> um, <laughs> was that like, if you listen to the people who are on the top of the charts, who we would consider to be pop artists, they were called something else at the beginning of their career. Yeah. Right. They were called a country star. They were called an R&B star. They were called a folk. The Taylor Swift, right, was called folk country when she first came out. Right? And she was. Yep. And she was. Right. Um, and so that's that's what I mean. But I, I would love to hear y'all um, kind of you mentioned a name, Michael, already. But I'm interested from your vantage point as artists, as folks who are, you know, quote unquote, keeping R&B alive. Actually, no. Pause. Another thought that I had. It just dropped back in my spirit. Come on. I have to bring up 
a one Fantasia Barino in this conversation. <laughs> because, because that's what I do, right? Mm. And so, you know, Fantasia's an R&B artist, okay? Period. She has this, like, new genre style that she considers herself to be, which is rock soul, right? Which reminds me of what you were saying earlier, Michael, in terms of, like, some of those, like, the, the, the core elements of, of R&B. Because, you know, rock, for the, for the listeners, rock is ours, too. FYI. Oh, um, yes. <laughs> we did all this shit. Um... But one of the things I love about Fantasia, which I think goes to a little bit of what you're saying, Michael, in terms of like the 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 kind of stretch of where an R&B quote unquote artist can go. Um, Fantasia has done opera with Andre Botticelli, bitch. Okay, she has done like she can do and has done. We, we all know the the characteristic style of Miss. Uh, uh, yes. <laughs> of oh yes. Oh yes. Oh yes. She says. Uh, Absolutely, absolutely. Come on. Which is that R&B, which is that soul, which is that juke joint, you know, that church, right? That black right. church vibe. And so that's a thought I just wanted to say. But I wanted to hear from you two, who are some of the artists other than yourselves who are keeping R&B, soul, rhythm and blues alive? Who, who, who you want to point to that's doing some interesting things i'll start with you michael i mean the first name i'm i have to always say is um kenyon dixon i just think that he is truly like r&b r&b and straight no chaser just like makes the music that i want to listen to all the time i love him victoria monet Mm -hmm. right who i you know i think that she just she's it for me jade nova Oh God, there's like, there's so many more people. I mean, Alex Isley, like to me, I think Alex Isley is like this generation Sade. Mm. You know, she makes, she makes me feel the way that I feel when I listen to Sade just mm, takes me. It like literally takes me to a place. But like, I'm so mad at myself for not having this long list already prepared because there's so many names that I could name that are like doing R&B and I think like, really doing it I don't even want to say right but I mean they're doing it they're doing it in a real way mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. know Nina who you got for me what pops off is Ari Ari Lennox um, definitely has the charm and the, uh, the vocal chops the certain nuances of her vocal ability is unique and we know that that's what stands out unique so- <laughs> 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 come on set up um <laughs> I, you know, I think also not to toot my own horn, but yes, toot it. It's like, this is what I wake up to do. This is my all is that you give me a mic or not that I'm going to evoke soul R&B, especially from the viewpoint of being a black trans woman, like navigating this true space of understanding, no, baby, I can write lyrics and emote something that you can jam to with your level or you could groove to while you cleaning up because I was taught to do that because by the people that I saw came before me. And so once again, I always think about it's the actual intent of mm-hmm. the people. If you like the music is out there, the people are out there. You just Absolutely. have to actually search on your own to find that. And so particularly coming from my own lived experience, it's like, Yes, I look to Whitney. Yes, I look to Anita. Yes, I look to Aretha. Yes, I look to Stevie. 
But I want now in this day and age to say that now people can look to me. And I'm still in that process as a proud black trans woman navigating this music industry as a soul singer, as singing R&B, classically trained, but still having the, the tenacity and the musicality to, to do anything I want to do with my voice. That has really never been done for people that look like me. And so I'm forging this path to actually break that open because we have seen representation in a lot of spaces, particularly for black LGBTQIA plus people. But this is the lane that I'm in of like, oh no, I've never really seen this. And so this mm -hmm. is the journey, like with me, with Jayla Sims, with Tiana Trends, with so many black trans artists that are so in that cut to where the eyes really don't get to see unless you really, really, really know. And so this is the job of that artist to any platform, to any space that you get into to share that, to say, oh no, look up, look up Jayla Sims, no, look up Tiana Trends, look up Neverending Nina, look up all these artists that don't really get the shine like that, but still are doing the work. Absolutely. Yeah, and Nina, and Nina don't follow rules because you said not to name yourself. And she said, let oh, me go well, ahead and use this time. She said, let me use this time. Okay? I didn't even hear that. Love, so you, know, you know what my mind was already on. <laughs> me. I'm the girl. In the spirit of tooting y'all's own horns, uh, tell people about what you're most excited about that you um, are, are sharing with the world right now. Uh, Nina, let's let you go first. I'm coming up on the one year anniversary of releasing a project, my debut EP project that I never thought I would even be on this world to actually release. Mm -hmm. So that's a blessing in itself. Everything that I was ordered and in alignment to has come because I was obedient to the calling on my life. Mm -hmm. Everything that everybody can see that I have done has been orchestrated organically through the will of God. Ah! Amen. So here I am again celebrating that, but also prepping my mind to say, okay, you did that. You were scared of that. You conquered that. What's next? So I'm working on my album. I'm working on what can be bigger and better. I'm working on um, developing more of my team. I'm working on developing more of me because I, what I know now when I first started and plus doing and actually being able to do it, I know I can take with me in this next chapter and just expanding, mm -hmm. making sure that I go in any room and be that vessel of change. And it's because I know I'm always thinking of who coming behind me, not me being the only one. I don't want to be the only one. That's hard enough as itself. So this is my process in um, recognizing that. I was just telling my tribe the other day, like, yeah, I was scared of that last year, but now look what everything has happened to me because I was obedient. So that means the next step is to challenge myself even more. And so this is the process for me of releasing my album, my debut album. Mike, bef Love Michael, that. before you tell us about yours, Nina, why don't you tell people a few of the things that you're most proud of that are happening for you right now? I'm proud that every time I release anything that my community of mu musical people understand me, they respect it, and they champion me in the process of me going through this journey because it is an untraveled road for me, particularly as a proud black trans woman navigating this music industry that they understand is like, no, sorry about the cut. They say, my thing is when I, <laughs> when I put my art and it's not a comparison thing. It's just saying I'm in the class. Mm -hmm. Like Jill said, let me get invited to the party. I'm in the party. I'm in the room. 
So when you type up me or you type up Beyonce or when you type up Ari, the imagery, the art, everything equates to say, oh, no, give her an opportunity because Miss Mamas is doing something with her art. Mamas is singing. Mamas is writing. And so this is the space that I'm so proud of that that doesn't waver. The industry can beat me up every day because I'm like, look at me. Where's my attention? And that's the ego, of course, because you want to be seen by your peers. But at the same time, if I if today is my last day on this earth, they can type in Neverending Nina and see the receipts to say, oh, no, she came and did what she was supposed to do. And so that always makes me proud and recharges me and grounds me and builds my foundation up to say, OK, what's next, God? What's next? I'm here. It's me and you. What's next? Well, speaking of anniversaries, this time last year, I was putting on my garments to go to the Met Gala and I released my single Ooh. The Man in the Barbershop. So celebrating a year of that has just been so spectacular. Um, I'm working on my second album right now. I'm really, really excited to to um, invite everyone in to a closer look at me, you know, on this next project. And, you know, the first album was The Invitation and this next album is going to be The Conversation, I think. And um, I'm mm. I'm excited about that. Um, I'm, I'm in such a, a good, interesting place in my life. Like I took a little bit of a tour last year where I just, you know, kind of figured out where I wanted to be, where I needed to be, what I, what I needed to learn and mm -hmm. did a lot of that over the years. So like, I'm, I'm looking forward to, um, remembering everything I learned during the pandemic during last year and, being able to use those now in like this real world that we're kind of plopped back into where yeah. everything's open and nobody wears masks. I appreciate both of you so much for being a part of this conversation. I feel like y'all gave us some context and perspective that is perfect. And history. For what we are wanting to talk about. And <laughs> history. Yes. Um, how are y'all thinking about R&B uh, and, and this, the context of this conversation. You can hit us up on Twitter and Instagram at Fanti Podcast. We want to know what y'all think um, using the hashtag Fanti Fam. Coming up, we're going to get into dishonorable mentions. That's next on Fanti. Don't go anywhere. What happens when you give a bug recreational drugs? What was the first recorded sound? How do we figure out how old the earth is? Let's find out together on our show, Let's Learn Everything, where we learn anything and everything interesting. My name's Caroline, and I studied biodiversity and conservation. My name's Tom, and I studied computer science and cognitive blah, 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 blah. Mm, Did you? <laughs> <laughs> and my name's Ella, and I studied stem cells and regenerative medicine. On our show, we do as much research as you would for a class, but we don't get in trouble for making each other laugh. And we get to say f**k. <laughs> Maybe not in the trailer. Subscribe to Let's Learn Everything every other Thursday on Maximum Fun. Maximum Fun is a network by and for cool, popular people. But did you know it also has an offering designed to appeal to nerds? A show for nerds? On Maximum Fun? The devil, you say? It's true. It's called The Greatest Generation, and they review episodes of a television program for nerds called Star Trek. They've reviewed TNG, DS9, and are now reviewing Voyager. Hey, Star Trek. My daughter enjoys that program. Well, if she enjoys that, and she enjoys humor of the flatulent variety, might I recommend she subscribe to The Greatest Generation? Hey, are you calling my kid a nerd? Why, I oughta... Well, gotta go. 
Become a friend of DeSoto by subscribing to The Greatest Generation on MaximumFun.org today. Welcome back, beautiful people. We are going to jump right into our dishonorable mentions this week. These are stories or people that caught our attention this week that deserve a call out either for their good or their foolishness. I want to give a few shout outs, really quick shout outs. First goes to Elegance Bratton. He is the writer director of a new movie that will be coming out soon called The Inspection. It premiered at TIFF last week. Also a shout out to Trace Lissette. Her film Monica premiered at the Venice Film Festival, making her the first trans performer to lead a movie premiering at the Venice Film Festival. The reviews for both films seem super positive, and so we might see some some good, you know, black queer and some wonderful trans representation in the award season conversation. So shout out to both of those. And then I just need, I know it's a little, it's a week or so late at this point, but I need to give a shout out to Black and Irish Twitter. Your responses oh my God. to Queen Elizabeth's <laughs> death were marvelous, okay? They were marvelous, and I am deeply thankful and grateful for all of it. I, I just want to piggyback on that and give another honorable mention to Black Twitter. I think that Black Twitter is, is just such a sacred place. Like, I there have been so many moments that have felt uniquely black Twitter and like I didn't see this coming until Unique. it was starting. Uniquely black Twitter that like this was like this funeral this funeral's going to blow Twitter <laughs> in half. Queen right Elizabeth's, like yes. Queen Elizabeth's funeral is going to bust the internet wide open. It just is. You know what bust I mean? It wide open. Um, tell them bring it back. Listen. It so open. I just want to shout that out as well. Um, there's a story that is coming out of the LAist, and the headline says, high school journalists in LA learn about censorship from their own principal. Um, it's an interesting story about uh, the student newspaper there doing uh, coverage on COVID. Um, and without going into all the details, I, I just, I'm intrigued by this story. It's another conversation, kind of, we were talking in the A segment about, you know, being in school and, like, the ways that we hear um you know, of, of teachers engaging students. And this is actually a, a story of the ways that the district and the leadership have kind of suppressed the the newspaper and then the response to that. And so uh, I want to give a shout out to um, to Adriana Chavera, who is the journalism um, advisor at Daniel Pearl Magnet High School uh, here in Los Angeles. Um, this is a really interesting story and it's starting to pick up some steam with other journalist organizations here locally and, and people are talking about it. I'm, I'm curious to see where it's going to go, um, but it's an interesting one. I'm not, I'm, I'm going to continue watching it. So those are all the ones for me. Um, it is now time for... Black history is happening every day. This week, we have to take a moment to recognize and honor the greatest of all time herself, Serena Williams. She had her last match 
um, last tournament, last week. And according to CNN Business, her last match smashed ratings records. The roughly three-hour match averaged 4.8 million viewers, making it ESPN's most-watched tennis match in its 43-year history. Ratings peaked during the match's final set in the 10.15 p.m. quarter hour, garnering 6.9 million viewers. That's huge. That's amazing. Serena Williams deserves. If you have not seen King Richard, I know people feel a, a particular way about, you know, Will Smith's performance in the film, but the movie is a really great kind of like behind the scenes look at how these two icons, Serena and Venus, um, were raised by their father and their mother. Check it out on HBO Max. This is not an ad. I just really like the movie. Okay. And so shout out to Serena Williams. We see you queen. That is going to do it for us. If this conversation piqued your interest and you want more of this here, good, good. You got to go check out other episodes that have a related conversation. I, the, the perfect one is what Mary didn't know. I think we referenced this one recently, but Michael Kilgore joins us with Michael Chin. We're talking about our favorite sexy Christmas music, and it's a little bit ridiculous. <laughs> um, if you are listening on any of the platforms that allow you to rate and review the show, we ask that you leave us a five-star rating. Let us know what you love about the show, and then be able to be sure to share the show as well. If you have a comment or suggestion about this week's show, we're at Fanti Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. Use the hashtag Fanti fam or you can send us an email to fanti at maximumfun.org as always if you got a few extra coins and you want to give them to us go to maximumfun.org slash join become a financially contributing member of the maximum fun family and the fanti fam our music as always is brought to you by the one and only corice that's c-o-r dot e-c-e another artist keeping r&b and soul alive check him out and our graphics are by ashley winning the folks over at moon house creative our producer is Laura Swisher. This is a production of Maximum Fun. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned, audience supported. It's I'm here. It's me and you. What's next? Oh, hallelujah. Somebody lift your hands. I don't know where you listen to this podcast right now, but receive that. <laughs> do what you came here to do, okay? Don't let your time run up and you ain't done what you were supposed to do. Receive that. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Michael, answer the question so we can get out of here now. Hell. <laughs>